Here at Life Tree Community Church, we like to say anything's possible. The greatest challenge for us in all the world is to be made right with our holy God. Jesus actually said it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for us to be made right with God. We don't have what it takes, but God does. And if God can make things right between us, there's nothing he can't do. With God, anything is possible. Exodus chapter 2. Um, our kids, my kids are gone for the weekend. Um, they were uh, there with their cousins out in Pennsylvania. And uh, so Anna and I have no kids all weekend. Um, so we went to the beach yesterday, had a great time just hanging out at the beach. We were like, what do we do? Like, there's nobody fighting. Should we fight? Like, should I throw sand at you? I don't know. Like, we, after like 20 minutes, it was like, I, I don't feel like I can sit this long. Like, I gotta get up and do something. I don't know. Like, I should be watching somebody. So I started watching somebody else's kids. Like, I don't know. Like, what are we doing? But it, I, we got, to, we had a chance to relax. It was great. Um, had dinner. It was very nice. Um, I haven't preached now in several weeks. So, um, I have to warn you. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna preach for like three days. Like, I got lots of, I, seriously, I prepared my stuff. I usually have, like, a set number of pages. I was, like, way over my pages. I'm like, oh, man, I got so much to say. It's been too long. And so I really, really had to kind of simplify this and break it down. So I'm going to do my best, but buckle up. That's all I got to say. So, all right. So today we're going to be starting a new series about the life of Moses. And uh, we're called, it's called Love Lifted Me. And uh, really, this is a message about restoration about restoration. Um, my prayer is that throughout this series, these next few weeks as we talk about this for the next five or six weeks, that if you're hopeless, God would restore hope to you. That if you feel useless in any way, for any reason, that God would restore purpose to you. That if you feel like you blew it, that it's too late for you, that God would restore your value and your worth that if you feel afraid, that God would restore faith to you. If you feel trapped, that God would restore freedom to your heart. See, Moses is a story about restoration. It's about how God restores what the enemy wants to take. That's, this, that's what his story is about. And a quick history now. I'm going to give you like the entire Old Testament in about 30 seconds. All right, so... Adam and Eve, right? Starts with Adam and Eve in the beginning. You know the story in the beginning. God creates Adam, creates Eve. we got these two people, right? And... Uh, it's utopia, they're in the Garden of Eden, everything's good, and then that stinking apple gets in the way, you know, the one thing they can't do, they got to do it, you know, because there's free will, and as good as it is, sometimes we just get greedy, and we want more, and what happens is it broke and violated the relationship with God, and so then they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, so, yeah, so if you got arthritis right now, you can thank Adam and Eve for that, I mean, life would have been perfect Without them, so I blame them. Um, so after them, you know, life kind of moves on. People start to populate the earth, and uh, there's no real relationship with God. They start to walk away. So God says, He goes, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna restart this, and He finds a guy named Abraham, and He makes this great promise to Abraham, right? He says, listen, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Right? I'm going to bless the world through you. He says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. He says, look, look up and count the stars. He says, that's how numerous your descendants are going to be, Abram. I'm going to make you just this great promise. And, and it's this incredible thing. Um, and Abraham doesn't have any kids. <laughs> and he's like, okay, God, you made me this great promise, a great nation, but I can't have any kids. And I'm like 100 years old. And it's not going to happen. And then 
miracle of all miracles, his wife gets pregnant at 100 years old. They have a baby, Isaac. And it's just this, I mean, hey, God's going to make a great nation out of you. And now I got one. It's a nation of one. Right? Don't despise the small beginnings. Right? Everything's got to start somewhere. Right? And so there's just one. Uh, so Isaac, this miracle baby, the beginning of the promise. And then, uh, and then Isaac grows up and he has kids and he has 12 kids. Or, 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 I'm sorry, he has two kids. Ah. Well, at least we're doubled. You know, we'll get a little better. Alright, so he's got two. He's got Esau, who, um, was hairy. That's a good epitaph. That's what is on his tombstone. Esau, he was hairy. That's what it says about him in the Bible. Esau, um, oh, and he was dumb. Hairy and dumb. Esau was hairy and dumb. And then his brother Jacob was smooth skinned. <laughs> um, and, uh, he was a weasel. We've talked about this. Jacob was a weasel. And he tricks his older brother out of his birthright. And he just tricks everybody out of everything. He's always trying to trick people and always trying to reach for things that aren't his throughout his entire life. Um, and God ends up, he ends up actually wrestling with God in this kind of dream state thing. And uh, God says, I'm going to change your name. And Jacob, he says he turns his name into Israel. Ah, the story begins to unfold. So now you've got Abraham, the promise, and then Isaac, the one kid, and then he's got two kids. Here we go, Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob, Jacob, Jacob has 12 kids. And his 12 sons become the 12 nations, the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, so now we begin to see, but still, I mean, it's, it's hardly a nation at that point. It's still just a family with a lot of kids. Like, you know, we had, you know, you know, people with 12 kids, you know, you wouldn't call them a nation. You know, they're just family that likes each other. Um, that's something altogether different. And one of those 12 kids that Jacob has is a, is a young man named Joseph. And we know about Joseph, right? Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? It's on Broadway. All right, this is good. Um, Joseph is this annoying little brother who is full of himself. And if you met Joseph, you'd want to punch him in the face, right? That's who Joseph is. He's like, hey, man, I'm everything. My dad loves me. I'm special, Right is one of those kids that as soon as they walk into your class, you're going, not going to work, right? And so that's Joseph. And through a series of very unfortunate events, Joseph ends up in Egypt much more humble than he was in the beginning. And God does all this crazy thing in Joseph's life and he receives favor and he somehow, some way, finds himself second in command in Egypt there's Pharaoh and then there's Joseph. He was a slave kid. His brothers sold him out. I mean, it's this crazy story. And, it's, and Joseph actually ends up saving his family. He saves all of Egypt because the wisdom God gives him. He, he does this smart thing with food and they go through a famine, but he saves the country because of his planning and his insight. And Joseph brings the family. He's like, hey, Pop, hey, you know, Jacob, hey, bring, bring all our brothers. And so they come and they, they rescue the family. And they begin, and they, they begin to prosper there. And now they begin to grow. And now it's not just a family anymore, but now we're on our way to becoming a nation. Everything God promised Abraham is coming true. And that's where we pick up the story. Um, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen kind of recounts what was going on in history at this time. And he says this, as, as the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. So the promise made, now it's like it's about to happen, this promise. It says, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. So they're having babies, and they're having babies. It's like rabbits, right? They just keep going. They're having babies. And all these little Israelites, right? Twelve, and you got twelve, and I got twelve, and we got twelve. And all of a sudden, it's not just a family anymore. We're, we're becoming something. 
It says, but then a new king called the Pharaoh came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. So a new king rises up who, who doesn't remember this guy Joseph who was you know, shown all his favor. And this king, it says, he exploited our people and he oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. And this is where we pick up our story. All right, so you've got this long history. God's made this promise. We're about to, we're going to be a nation. It's going to bless the world. Our name's going to be great. Count the stars. It's going to be awesome. And here we are, and life is good. And then this new king comes. He's like, who are you people? I'm going to make you slaves. I'm like, what just happened? In Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, it'll be on the screen. You can read along as well. It says this, about this time, about this time, right when that was all going on, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. And the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Can you imagine the mixture of joy and terror for a mom who's about to have a boy in a nation where the, the king just says all the boys need to die? You, you heard it. In, you know, the, he says all the, all, the, all the boys, all the infant boys, kill him. He instructed all the midwives, if the Hebrew women have a boy, kill it. Throw it in the river. That's your job. Throw it in the Nile River. Kill it. And this mother's like, I'm having a baby. It's a boy. Oh, no. Can you imagine? Just try and, try and put yourself in her shoes. Right? You've got this mixture of joy about a child, but terror about what's to come. And she sees that he's a special baby, and she kept him hidden because she's afraid that they're going to kill my baby. Almost every mother thinks their baby is special, right? I think all babies look like aliens. I'm sorry. Apparently, baby Moses was adorable. That's great. Um, that word special actually means he was pleasant to look at. He's just had a nice face about him. You want to pinch his cheeks, right? Um, it, we know from history that she already had two older children named Miriam, a daughter of Miriam, and then a son named Aaron. And she saw something different in this one. And that this threatened child who was supposed to die was special. There's something special about this kid. Now, if the kid... If the king wants to kill your special baby, what would you do? If the king wants to kill your baby, what do you do, right? Do you, you run away? You know, they didn't have like trains, right? You weren't going to go, you know, fly to a different country, you know, it wasn't anything. Do you, do you hide? Do you hand him over? What do you do? You can imagine, right, trying to keep quiet a baby. You know, what's that sound? Ah, oh, it's the goat. You know, nothing, you know, like you can't blame it on the TV, right? There's nothing like, like you're just trying to hide and suppress the baby. Don't cry, don't cry. Like every time it cries, you're like, no, 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 right? And, and it's not just I don't want the baby to cry, but I don't want somebody to find out I have a baby. For three months, babies cry a lot. They don't stop crying. Ever. Ever. That's all they do. I remember, kind of, I blocked a lot of it out, but lots of crying. It says eventually, hiding the baby became impossible. It says, verse 3, when she could no longer hide him, she couldn't do it anymore. She knew he was going to be found out. She got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Um, let's not read that like that's normal. This is the baby. And the Nile River is famous for crocodiles and hippos and black mamba snakes. Like, this is not 
a nice river and she's putting a baby in the river in a basket. You know, was she just giving up hope? Was she just like, I don't know, I just put the baby in the river. You know, I mean, we'll see in a moment that she couldn't even stick around to watch. You know, I'm going to guess that she couldn't watch. She couldn't. This is my baby and I just can't hide it anymore. And it almost seems like a desperation act. I'm going to put the baby there. You can imagine the heartache of a mother who knows the king wants her baby dead because there are too many of her people. And she's sitting there going, God, where are you in this? There are so many of our people because you told us you were going to make so many of our people. You told us count the stars. That's how many they were going to be. And now because there's so many of us, they want our babies dead. They want my baby dead because of your promise. Didn't you promise that we would be a great nation that would be blessed by us? And now we're slaves and our children are being slaughtered. God, where are you? Where are you as I put my baby in this river because I can't keep him because they want to kill him? There's so many questions. But Moses' mother, her name was Jochebed. His, mother, his father was Amram and his mother was Jochebed. That's her name. And it says she makes a basket and she seals it with like a tar-like substance to keep the water out. Which is interesting. And she doesn't just put the baby anywhere. It says very specifically, she laid him among the reeds. Um, this was near the shore, right? You don't see reeds in the middle of the river. Like it's towards the, towards the side of the shore. And it'll keep the basket actually from floating away. If you put like a basket in reeds, it'll kind of hold it there, right? So you can see there's, there's a little bit of strategy going on here. This wasn't a, a, a random place. So let's, let's, there's something strategic here. Let's keep reading. In verse 4, it says that the baby's sister then stood at a distance, Miriam, because the mother couldn't watch. So she puts the baby in the reeds, hoping that it would stay there. She leaves and says, Miriam, you watch, watching to see what would happen. And you can imagine Miriam as a young girl wondering if her mother, what does my mom believe, what does my mom believe about what's going to happen next? Like I've, this girl has probably heard stories of faith from generations past, and now she's watching her mother live it out. Will God show up? Will her baby brother be saved somehow, some way? So she waits and she watches. She's staring at the basket, just waiting and watching from a distance. Just think about this moment. Think about being a young girl, just watching your baby brother who's in a basket in the Nile River. And you're like, crocodiles, hippos, black mambas, oh my. Right? And just watching a basket and wondering, what, mom, what do you, mom, what, do I, what am I doing? So it says, verse 5, soon, Pharaoh's daughter, the king's daughter, came down to bathe in the river right at this spot. And her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. Why are they walking along the riverbank? Probably because there's crocodiles and hippos and they're saying if she's going to bathe, let's make sure she's not going to get eaten before she bathes, right? They're probably just doing some you know, reconnaissance, right? They're, 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 and the mother knew this. I'm going to put this here and I know the princess is going to come here. This was not a random place. This is where the very daughter of the man who issued the death sentence, where she regularly came to the river. She's the princess. Everybody knows where she bathes regularly. Right? They know where she's going to be coming. They know where she comes down. She's the princess. Everybody knows what happens with the princess. This was routine. 
The question is, why would Moses' parents bring him here and why to her? What did they hope that this girl was going to do? Hadn't her father issued the order? Why wouldn't she just bring the baby to the father? Like if I'm the princess, here's a baby. Up, oh, dad, I got another one. Right? Like why wouldn't she just do that? I can imagine Miriam, the sister, holding her breath. The moment of truth was about to happen. Her baby brother is now going to be in the hands of the Egyptians and what would they do with him? It says, when the princess opened it, she saw the baby and the little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children. She said, I don't want you to miss the hand of God here. Please don't miss this. The Egyptian princess, whose people were threatened by the very existence of the Israelites, felt compassion for this child. That's called favor. And that's not normal. It doesn't happen. Egyptian princesses don't have compassion for Israelite babies when your dad said, kill them all. Doesn't happen. She knows this is a Jewish baby. She recognizes it. This must be one of the Hebrew children. And her heart is open towards this child. This is God at work in the story. See it. Don't miss it. And Miriam knows that this is her moment. She can't believe what she's watching happen. God is doing this. And she springs into action. Verse 7 says, Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. You've got to know this was the plan all along, right? This wasn't just a, oh, that's a good idea. This was the plan. This is what Jochebed, Moses' mother, was hoping was going to happen. She had given Miriam instructions. As soon as the princess opens the basket, you approach her and offer her help. And I've got to imagine that Miriam's heart's pounding. This is a Hebrew girl. Has she ever talked to the Pharaoh's daughter? Has she ever talked to a princess? Absolutely not. Like, she could probably get in really serious trouble for even approaching Royalty. And she goes right up. At so many points in the story, God has to be at work for this to end well. Do you realize that? Do you want me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Of course the princess said yes. Right? We assume that afterwards, of course she's going to say yes. Why wouldn't she say yes? Well, I don't know, maybe because she's got like thousands of attendants. Why would she need a Hebrew woman to, not, to, if, to, to take care of this baby? Like, I don't even know that the princess had decided what to do with the baby at the moment. All we know is she had compassion and she was like, oh look, here's a baby that's crying, I feel bad. doesn't say whether she had decided to save the baby or kill the baby. She's just, and in that moment, Miriam plants a seed thought. I'm going to come up in that moment. Would you like me to get one of the Hebrew women to care for it? Hey, that sounds like a good idea. Yes, I can do that. This is a flat-out miracle. Can I tell you, sometimes something as small as a yes is miraculous. Call it the miraculous yes. It's a really bad play on words, but a miraculous yes. It's really hard to say that. Try and say it right now. Miraculous. You want to say the L, but then the, L, the Y comes. It's difficult. It says, the daughter of Pharaoh, who hates Israelites, has opened the door for help for caring for this child. So the odds are, I'm going to guess this princess isn't dumb. I believe she understood what was going on at this moment. She knew that what this girl was trying to get done. She, she saw it didn't happen. And I think she just simply had a compassionate heart. 
And she was like, you know, yeah, why don't you, why don't, why don't, let's wink. Why don't you go get a Hebrew woman to help me nurse this? A Hebrew woman, you know, hypothetically, as this girl is sitting here watching, like she's putting together pieces. I don't think she's stupid. And her compassionate heart, I think, is proven by what happens next. Verse 9 says this, Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother, Jacobed. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Not only did she give Moses back to her mother, but she paid her to take care of him. Come on. Come on. For three months, this lady is hiding her son. She's terrified. And now the daughter of Pharaoh is paying her to take care of it. Pharaoh's own money, unbeknownst to him, is being used to care for this child. This is absolutely incredible. You understand this story? I mean, how good is God? He uses Pharaoh's money to raise Israel's rescuer? Is God not ironic? Come on. Like, don't you think? Um, later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. And the princess named him Moses. Isn't that interesting? The name that we know for him was the name that was given to him by the princess. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. See, That's what it means in Egyptian. It means lifted out of the water. In Hebrew, it means drawn out, lifted up. You can understand the title of our series, Love Lifted Me. See, Moses is a child who is supposed to be dead, who is supposed to be killed because of a decree. And he's raised in the very palace of the one who issued the decree. I'm telling you, God's got a tremendous sense of irony. It's unbelievable what he does. So what? Uh, so God knew who this baby was. God knew who the baby was. Did Pharaoh know who this baby was? No. Did his daughter know who this baby would become? No. I'm going to guess she probably would have left the baby there. Did Miriam, the sister, know who this baby was? No, he's just her baby brother. I doubt even his mother knew that Moses would eventually lead the entire nation of Israel to freedom out of Egypt. I mean, the truth is it took Moses years himself before he believed it. Nobody knew, but God knew. God saw potential and knew what the potential of this baby was. When nobody else did, he could see it. I have a question for you. Who lifted Moses out of the river? I love that the princess took credit for it. <laughs> for I lifted him out of the water. Of course you did. Of course you did. It just so happened that the mom planned to put it in the reeds right where you would come by. And it just so happened that the sister planted the seed thought in your eye, in your head. And it just so happened that you said, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll draw him out of the water. I will call him Moses because I lifted him out. We all know God lifted that baby out of that river. So the question is this, was this random? Was this just a really crazy story? Can you believe it? Like, what are the odds that this just so happened? Or was this part of God's plan? Was God in this or was this just you're making more out of it? It's just a, it's just a great story. Moses was special. It took a series of highly unlikely events for him to even reach childhood. Just for this guy to be living at two years old. 
took extraordinary events. See, we have hindsight bias. We know what Moses will become. We know that God had plans for Moses. We can see his hand in all this. But, but his mother didn't know any of that. She didn't know. We don't, she didn't know how the story was going to end, right? Here's a question. What would have happened if Jacobed and Amram had tried to hold on to Moses? What would have happened had they decided to, you know, we're not going to put him in there. We're going to, we're going to try and keep hiding him. How do you think that would have ended? Is there any way they could have realistically hidden him forever? No. By actually holding on to Moses, they would have doomed him to death. Right? There's no way that they could have saved him. We, knew, we know that God can do amazing things. I mean, that's what he does. It's not, that's not that surprising that God did all these crazy things. It's like, yeah, it's pretty cool, but he's God. You know, it kind of makes sense. God can change hearts and do things like that. But what Moses' mother did is what I want to zero in on today. Because she laid her baby down in a river and walked away. <laughs> Who would do that? Who would lay their baby down in the Nile River and walk away? Now, I'm sure she went home and she probably prayed like never before. Right? But here's the thing. She took her hands off the basket. As she laid her baby in that river, she trusted that God would lift him out. She could not be the one to do it. In her hands, he was going to die. She had done all she could do and now she had to let go and let God do what only He could do. Now, I know we've got a variety of people in our service today, and not everybody has children. But I believe everybody has a baby. We all have babies. It might be your dream, your career, a relationship, but you've got a baby. You've got something that you care about, you love, you want, you believe in, you see it's special. It is special to you. It could be your kids, your spouse, someone you love. Your baby is whatever you care about so much you'd sacrifice for it. Your, your baby is whatever you dream about, whatever you hope for, what keeps you going. Your baby is what keeps you up at night. Your baby is whatever you would fight to protect. Let me ask you, what's your baby? I know it's kind of silly, but really, what's your baby? Now imagine if somebody threatened your baby. How would you feel? What would you do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd hold it even tighter. Right? Somebody threatens. If I knew somebody wanted to hurt my kids, guess what? I would never let them out of my sight. Right? Like, you're not going anywhere. Stay here. Why? Stay here. <laughs> do not move. It's my kids. I love my kids. If somebody wants to hurt my kids, you don't move. You are with me. Somebody wanted to hurt this church, I'd develop a plan of protection. If someone wanted to ruin my dream, I wouldn't let them near it. If someone was trying to split my marriage, I'd hold Anna even tighter. Which makes what Jacobed did all the more striking. She laid her baby down and let go. Who does that? She believed in a God who could lift her baby out of the river and back to life. But she had to lay him down first. Anna, you're saying what I think I'm what you're saying? Yes. If you will lay your baby down, God will lift it higher than you ever could. 
And it's so hard to do because we love our babies. We love our kids. We love our relationships. We love our dreams. And we live in a hostile world that wants to harm them. There are so many things that threaten the very things we love deeply. Things God Himself has given to us. And we want to cling to them. Can I tell you that every decision to lay down what you love is an act of surrender. It's an act of trust. See, surrender declares trust. By laying down her baby, she was not abandoning it. She had done everything she could. She made the basket. She coated it. She planned it out. I'm not just going to put it anywhere. I'm going to put it here in these reeds where the princess is going to come because this is the best shot I've got. This is what I believe and I trust that God's going to do it. But at the end of the day, I've got to get my hands off the basket. And I've got to walk away. If we will not trust that God holds all things in His capable hands, we'll never let go. So the question for you today is this. Are your hands on the basket? Are you trying to determine, parents, every step of your children's life? We've talked about kids as arrows, right? You direct their, their course. You create opportunity. But you gotta let go. You gotta let go at some point. We talk about dedication. We dedicate children in our service, right? In, in our, in our tradition. We dedicate kids. We bring them up here and we hold the kids and we say, God, I dedicate this child to you. I recognize that this is not my kid. This is your kid. You've given it to me for, for stewardship. To love and to protect and to care for. It's, it's a trust. But it's literally a recognition that these are your kids and that you love them more than I do. And I cannot make my kids believe and become anything. I, I try and model as much as I can, but I cannot force it on them. I cannot control them. Our society is overflowing with people who try to program their kids like robots. If you do this and do this and do this, you'll become like this. And guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you, you want to, I can tell you story after story. Athlete after athlete. Actor after actors. Business person. I tried to give them the family business and they didn't want to. You try and force our kids into things to control what they're going to become. And guess what? It doesn't work. Be prayerful. Parents like Amram and Jochebed. Be shrewd parents who place your kids and your people you believe will be good to them. Do what you can and at the end of the day you've got to take your hands off the basket. Let God do what only He can do. Trust His goodness. I'm telling you, it had to have been terrifying for a mother to actually put her baby in a river and say, it's out of my hands, God. Only God can lift that baby up. Perhaps you have a dream that you're clinging to. Something that you really would love to see happen. And you know that there's a world that doesn't care about your dream. That actually may just seek to play with you and ruin your dream and crush it. So you're hiding it and keeping it inside and not, act, not acting on it. You're just afraid of fulfilling it. Can I tell you, God can lift it up in ways you never could. See, fear cripples and faith empowers. I don't think Moses' parents in their wildest imaginations thought that the princess would actually pay for them to take care of their own kid. Come on, that's pretty cool. 
I don't think they actually dreamed that one up. Do you think that they could have walked in? Jochebed walks up to Pharaoh and be like, Hey, Pharaoh, I want your daughter to pay me to take care of my kid that you want to kill. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. How, how do you think that would go? Think it would go well? Really well. I don't think that they knew that their baby would one day lead their people out of slavery. They just wanted the kid to live. They just wanted him to live. Their dreams were here. God's dreams were way up there. Fulfillment of a promise 400 years ago. This is, this is so much bigger than they had any idea. Do you think they had any idea that his name would be known to every major religion in the world 3,000 years later like it is today? Moses? Everybody knows Moses. God has bigger dreams for your dream than you do. So lay it down and get your hands off it. Let God bring it to life His way. For me, pastoring this church is something I dreamed about. And laying down my dream looks like refusing to build it into what I think it should be. It's not my church. This is God's church. And He's got bigger dreams for this church than I do. I lay this church down every day and invite God to lift it up in ways I never dreamed about. I never dreamed we'd have such amazing people here like we do. I never dreamed we'd be given such favor in this community. I never would have planned that one out, telling you I'm not smart enough. Those who know me will tell you I am not smart enough. Honor roll, didn't happen. Nope. I never dreamed God would provide such incredible leadership. I never dreamed we'd be in this building. It's not even a big dream, but like, I mean, it's a build, it's a great building. It's awesome to be here. I never dreamed it. We're meeting in a school cafetorium. Come on. Our church fits in a trailer. Right? Your boxes, those Bibles go back in milk crates. <laughs> I'm telling you. We all have a baby. You know what yours is. And Nick, I invite you to come on back as we're going to close in a moment. If you will lay down your baby, God will lift it up. Because that's what He does. God plants dreams. He gives things. He gives gifts. He gives things that you love. And God's got bigger plans for it than you do. But when we try and clutch it and hold on to it, you know what happens? We kill it. In our hands, it's going to die. If I tried to guide and direct every part of my life, yeah, it wouldn't end real well. He lifts up with love what we lay down with love. See, when we trust the one who is love to do what is best, it's about trust. You know, I think the only reason that a mother could actually put her baby in a river is because she actually trusted that God was good. And she's probably sitting there going, God, I don't know how you're going to save my baby. Like, maybe it's the princess, maybe not. See, we know the end of the story. But when the mother puts the baby in there, that story has not happened yet. There's no guarantee That a crocodile doesn't just eat that basket. You don't know. You just have to trust in God's goodness. 
Dan, how could you ask me to lay down something like that? Listen, I can't convince you of anything. All I can do is tell you the story and tell you that I believe in a, tr- in a God who's trustworthy, in a God who is good, in a God who's got better dreams than, than, than you or I do. And that if you will lay down what you love most, Say, God, I surrender this to you. He can lift it up far beyond anything you could ever imagine. In my hands, my kids will never be what God created them to be. I have no idea what my children will be one day. Even on my best day, my best imagination. Okay, if I really want to dream, okay. My oldest son, yeah, he's playing center field for the Yankees. Nick, you know it, you know it. Center field for the Yankees. Yes. I think that's a light years short of what God has for him. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, that's just light years short. I mean, I could try and guide him and direct him and make everything work out. And it would crush him. Because it's not what God has for him. Maybe God has him to be on the Yankees. And hey, if so... I'll be okay with that. I have no idea what this church will one day be. I have no idea the impact even my own life will have. But I do know that every day I choose to lay down those things I care about most. That's a day I welcome God to lift them up to heights I could never imagine. For Moses, think about this. I'll give Pastor Dre credit for this one. Letting him go led to let my people go. You think they knew that? No way. No way. God can lift up what you lay down, but only if you lay it down. For God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that this life is not up to us. It's not in our hands. And God, give us the faith, the trust to lay down those things that we care about so much and to refuse to clutch them and to, to cling to them and to welcome you to do what only you can do. Lord, we, we give our children to you. We give our dreams to you. Our relationships, everything we love, everything we care about, we give it to you. Our career, our future, our hopes, we put it in your hands and say, God, I'm going to lay this down. I'm going to take my hands off. And I'm going to let you lift it up a whole lot higher than I ever could. Have your way. You take a minute and ask God, just search your heart. Say, God, what are you saying to me right now? What's my baby? What do I need to lay down? Would you just respond for just a moment? And we're going to close our service. Would you just take a minute to respond as the band plays behind us? Take a minute and do that now.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.